0: Hello, and welcome to yet another episode of the Back to the TARDIS podcast, the podcast where we take a look at every single episode of the 2005 revival of BBC's Doctor Who. I'm Jeff.
1: I'm Skylar.
0: And I'm Amber. And this week, we are discussing Series 5, Episode 10, Vincent and the Doctor by Richard Curtis. Um... So apparently, like I don't know, like I'm not that familiar with the uh, rest of uh, Curtis's work. This is his sole Doctor Who writing credit. Um, however, apparently he's like a big like he's written a lot of like rom coms and shit, and he wrote like uh like loved Love Actually and 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 shit like that. Um. And I will say it is it's it's interesting because this episode is very decidedly not that, but I really do appreciate like the tone and the vibe that it has. Like it's 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 kind of an episode where it's like despite the subject matter, a lot of the episode feels like it's just kind of about like chilling the fuck out. Before we get to the finale. <coughs> yeah,
2: no. Like, I didn't know that this guy was a rom-com guy. But now that you have said that I'm totally like okay yeah no I get those vibes. Yeah. I'm yeah. um, just the very sort of sappy emotional core to it. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. for
1: sure. He wrote um, wrote the story for the Mamma Mia sequel. <laughs> so, nice. Another example, but yeah, I would say the best this is going off into a sort of tangent, but the best romantic comedies know how to get those like really high highs whether they be emotional or the comedy, and also the lows, um, when things have to get more serious and you need more, like, character development stuff. And I think that balance is struck almost perfectly in in this episode.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's like, admittedly, like, you get, like, next week's episode does that too, but next week's episode is also written by Ansem, Seeker of Darkness, and has... (sighs) Craig what I'm saying is is that I'd, I'd pick this <laughs> one pretty much anytime you ask it would be like oh hey, yeah I, I, yeah um and it's also um I guess I probably will go a little bit more in depth this week because I think there's a lot more to to talk about this time um but one thing that I I feel like I really noticed and I've actually I've watched this episode twice this year already because I I did a watch through of the whole season back when I first got my Blu-ray copy, um, and again now. And something that really struck me is how it kind of defies the established (laughs) tropes that the celebrity historicals were doing. Like, when you think about the fact that, like, admittedly part of this is just because it's Van Gogh, but, like, how... Like, the fact that, like, the Doctor and Amy are all, like, totally, like... It's it's straight-up, like, Shakespeare code. Or Unicorn and the Wasp. And it genuinely, like... It weirds Vincent the fuck out and is, like... like And makes him very uncomfortable. And a lot of the time leads to a lot of the emotional conflict in the episode. And yeah. it's, like... I, I like that because, like, even the celebrity historical episodes that we liked... We kind of gave them shit for how, like, obvious they are or how kind of they feel like they. it's tonally more like, hey, look at this person and not acknowledging. They can't ever be an actual character because they're here to be a famous person. And whereas here it feels like Vincent is an actual character.
1: Yeah, it plays kind of with those historical... Or at least the RTD historical tropes where it's like there's a person and they're famous and they're pretty much like everything you could imagine them to be except like maybe yeah. one or two flaws and they might have like a darkness within them but really it's like their tortured soul is creating beauty and they like win out in the end and here they they, they do that but they make you feel yeah. the darkness and it isn't one of those like oh my tortured passion creates yeah. beauty it's, yeah. <laughs> it, it isn't actually, trying well, to be here's... that
0: and it's not even like yes, Vincent obviously has the same mental health issues that he would have had in in real life, but when he talks about his art, he's not like a oh I'm a <coughs> tortured soul. He gets he almost has like a like a like an like a autism spectrum moment where he just like is like I need to talk about this wonderful all the colors and everything, and it, it's it's very much played differently it definitely read to me as like synesthesia um yeah
1: i hear the colors yeah but
2: yeah yeah, he's just very human in his writing and and definitely most of the time what you get with the the historicals is a character that's very and, and, and you know because you get this with historical perceptions of people is you get a very polished view of them with maybe like and you know they were kind of an asshole as a footnote. Um, yeah. Whereas here it's very much like Vincent Van Gogh being really a mess is sort of central to his historical yeah. Image. I, so that's definitely a part of it, and then a part of it is just that like very, you know, human writing you get yeah. from from sort of the emotional core that the 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 writer brings to this episode, and it's just very effective.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, as I helps? said, it's 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 allowing. Van Gogh to be an actual human character as opposed to basically just a famous face. And I feel like the only other, like, historical that I can think of off the top of my head that did that would have been Haunting of of Villa Diodati, where, like, it's not quite the same, but, like, Lord Byron and Shelley are, like, actual characters instead of just being... Ooh, look at this famous person, or or actually, or actually, ironically enough, uh, though, nowhere, nowhere near. Uh, to a lesser extent, uh, Tesla too. Yeah, I I
1: think I respect this episode a lot because I think <laughs> I never really noticed it until like going through with like super analysis analysis mode on, but um, with like Shakespeare Co., for example, or even um. the wasp uh, episode Unicorn and the i'm wasp? forgetting Unicorn yes the wasp. yeah even with those characters it's like the doctor there's like a distance between the doctor the companion and the famous historical person where it's like almost put on a pedestal and there's also sort of like a i can't describe it in any other way as like a fandom relationship with it's like the doctor yeah. and the companion will have this parasocial thing and then the comedy comes from the historical figure not really ever figuring out completely what the fuck they're on about. But here it's yeah. like, I believe 11 and Amy are friends with Vincent. Yeah. It goes beyond. I mean, yeah, just Yeah. Eventually. That and cool obviously thing. they
0: do kind of start. They obviously do kind of start off doing exactly that. And when Vincent is like, what do you mean you want to buy my painting? Like what the fuck dude?
1: Yeah. It, but it like, yeah, it changes and it doesn't stay that way, which like, I think that makes sense um but yeah
2: and i think that's part of what makes him very human in this episode is that he is able to like catch up and and i i think that's something pretty like specific to someone like vincent who is you know if when you're fucking crazy you you're more willing to accept shit um and so he just sort of he's like yeah like of course like these these guys are like they're weird as shit. I'm just gonna go with it. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Um. So yeah, I guess. So we start off in the the Musée d'Orsay. Um. Uh, with uh the doctor and Amy visiting uh the the Van Gogh uh exhibition, and I do like that it kind of plays into last week, whereas Amy's like, hey, why are you being, like, really nice to me? Um, And there, there's sort of that, that kind of going in the background the entire episode of, like, despite it being kind of a laid-back, like, it still doesn't lose sight of the arc, but also it doesn't feel like it needs to, like, jam a crack in there. It's just kind of like, yeah, Amy's... Like sort of subconsciously still reeling from the l- loss of Rory, even if she can't remember it, um, and of course Bill Nye, who I believe was long like a a kind of like he he was someone who everyone always thought like oh yeah he's got to be in the running to be the Doctor, being there and they they kind of play it up. I feel like. In that he's not like he's obviously not the doctor, but they're definitely playing up some like doctorish tropes for him. And like the, the bow tie is absolutely intentional. Yeah. Um uh, And they notice something weird. I will say the one if I have one problem with this episode, it is the thing right here. Where it's like super, super uh, contrived, where like Eleven's just like, I know evil when I see it, and I see it in that painting and looking at the monster, and it's just like, okay, man.
2: Yeah, that one was like, okay. Like, I I will say the premise for the episode is pretty flimsy. He like sees a face in a Van Gogh painting instead of being like, Oh I guess he just like was painting a shadow or something It was like, no, we must investigate immediately. yeah, but you know, it's a, it's a silly little intro and it doesn't yeah. really affect anybody. it.'s It's
0: one of those things where like obviously like the setup is contrived, but it's it's workable because the actual thematic content um, of the episode and the acting is good enough to counterbalance the contrived setup. Which is something the current administration of the show could learn something from. Ha ha, Chibnall, bad. Take a shot.
2: I, I think part of why I'm able to just like completely overlook that is that they come back to the museum. Yeah, and so it's like it, it just creates a. It's not line. a
0: completely purposeless framing device. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um. So yeah, they uh go back to uh I believe the late eighteen hundreds. Like the eighteen nineties yeah, eighteen ninety. Yeah, um and are like, all right, we're gonna go figure out what the fuck is up. And like it's it's weird too how like I think because the episode grounds itself when it does do the obvious nods like the cafe or Vincent holding his self portrait or the starry night scene it works more than just Ten and Donna saying Agatha Christie titles and and it works better than like
1: uh, uh 10 giving or, 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 Shakespeare his lines.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's there's also that. You never get the sense that it's like, oh, they're inspiring vincent it's just they're there while vincent finds his own inspiration which is something that i like because there's always been like it's weird to say that like i mean it is disrespectful but it's weird to say that like oh this is disrespectful to this long dead figure or whatever especially when they're not necessarily like a like a a marginalized voice or whatever like ten giving Shakespeare lines is different than ten like than them being like, "Yeah, the doctor went back in time and gave Octavia Butler writing advice like that would be so tone deaf, but it's it's still always been something that's made me like deeply uncomfortable when they do it, and they don't do it here,
1: yeah, and it's kind of I mean it's kind of cool how well they strike that balance because you could argue that. The Doctor impacts Vincent's life The most by taking him To the future yeah. to see how his works Are remembered and Ten doesn't do that For any of the historical people he comes yeah. across Yet this feels more Respectful in a way because It's never Eleven saying like Oh did you ever think about painting it like this Like that doesn't happen yeah. in fact that's like or Made the one fun time, of
0: yeah the, yeah, the, yeah the one time when he does where he's like Yeah you should go paint the church Vincent's like dude what the fuck Stop and it, and it takes the actual, like, the, the, the monster to show up for Vincent to be like, yeah, okay, I'll go do it. Um, so, yeah, uh, and of course, we are first introduced to Vincent having the obvious reputation that... Uh, the, the reputation of, like, oh, nobody liked him, everybody thought his paintings were stupid. Although... There is one thing, I'm not a particularly big art buff, but didn't Vincent have, like, peers that he hung out with who also did sort of weird avant-garde, for the time, painting styles?
1: Art history is one of the avenues of stuff that I never really got into when I was a history major, so I can't say... Yeah. For certain unfortunately um but that wouldn't surprise yeah, me got no idea. Even,
0: even then even if it's not historically <coughs> accurate like it is part of the things that makes the episode work so yeah and it and it doesn't like admittedly it's maybe not it maybe like it wasn't quite as like oh he's like miserable and and lonely or whatever but it still manages to get his mental health struggles across and how everyone scorned him for his mental health struggles when they should have helped him. Um, and how much like the kindness of the doctor and uh, his and Amy's help did mean to him. Um. So yeah. You ever like it's it's fu- kind of a weird thing that like sometimes Doctor Who does this. Where it's like the TARDIS translation circuits where it's like, okay, let's make uh, Vincent have a Scottish accent.
1: <laughs> That's a good and gag. I think, yeah.
0: And I think it's just supposed to be to, like, draw the connection to Amy. And also, they they did cast a Scottish actor, I believe. But Yeah. Um... Yeah, it was
1: in that very same scene when I noticed that they were – that, like, Amy and Vincent take to each other, like, pretty much right away – I was yeah. just thinking it was an amusing thought in my head that like her type includes Vincent van Gogh and um Rory in, like the same ballpark and I'm just like yeah. you know what I'm okay with that like that that weirdly fits
0: yeah and it's like it's like it's a little bit Manny P- manic pixie dream girlish but you know it's nowhere near as bad as uh, Clara going on about her and Jane Austen which it's like yeah i don't hate clara but there are definitely parts of clara that it's just like
1: uh... yeah and like again like it's even obviously the racism with um with shakespeare and martha is like no bueno but like you could argue that this had way more potential to like go south and yet it never does you just get the sense that i don't know she's enjoying it she doesn't remember her fiance obviously um, and also, and they just...
0: it's less, I, I don't know, this might just be me, but, like, while there's clearly some, like, back and forth between them, it never felt as, like, uncomfortably horny as the whole Shakespeare stuff was, which now, admittedly, Shakespeare was, if you ever, like, read Shakespeare, dude was put some fucking horny shit in his plays. So, like, yeah. technically that's accurate, but, like, The way that their relationship plays out, it's never... If it is romantic, it's not romantic in the sense that, like, it's portrayed in most media. And you get the sense that they're both fine with that. Oh, yeah. Which is nice.
1: It's it's interesting, because you could, again, on a very surface level, you could take the idea of, like... Oh, they're both drawn to each other because they have some type of, like, special grief. Or... That they're going through, and that's even, like, kind of named and, like, directly lampshaded in the episode, but it never feels like, oh, our tortured souls just relate so much. It's, yeah. it's not that <laughs> bullshit. Um yeah. It's just, it's it, neat to see how, you know, if you say, again, on paper that, like, oh, an episode where Vincent implies to the companion that they would have lots of beautiful kids together if she should ever get bored with the doctor. Like, you read that on paper and you see it's a Moffat-era story and you're just like, oh, great. But, like, it's not that. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, and you get... Like, I get the sense watching them interact that it's it's kind of like how I feel about, like, my really close friends. And I, I, I like that. I really, I really like <laughs> the way that their relationship is written, like, quite a lot. Um so yeah, uh they obviously they have the talk in the pub, and you see the uh the 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 person who gets killed who I believe is like the only one of two casualties in this episode, so this might be one of the lowest body count like non moffat pen doctor Who episodes <laughs> um uh There is, like, yeah, and and, I mean, I don't exactly know how period accurate accurate it is, but you definitely, like, one of the things that I like is that, as opposed to other historicals where, like, uh, Shakespeare code just pretended that the racism wasn't an issue or just didn't bother, like... One of the things that I, I like is that this episode didn't necessarily shy away from being like, yeah, like, for a very long time, people with mental health issues were unfairly stigmatized and marginalized. And, it I like, I, I don't really know whether or not, like, some people were like, oh, this feels, like, kind of contrived and shitty or whatever. But it's like, I don't know, man. People used to treat fucking people with mental illness extremely inhumanely
1: so yeah yeah. witchcraft or possession or like it sounds ridiculous to be like oh your madness caused this girl to be killed but like that's a thing (laughs) and it's sad yeah but like it doesn't shy away from that and it weaves it into the material of the story in which you know you could argue a lesser writer would just be like oh we just want historical hijinks just you know you know put, yeah. put a throwaway line in there and we'll get on with the story but no it's like it's front and center
2: <clears throat> and i think one of the the interesting things with his writing is that they portray that continually throughout the episode like there's never mm-hmm. there's never a point where they just like forget about him being mentally ill yeah it's just like it's, it's a just a part theme. of yeah, it's a core part of his character, and I, I, I think, you know, we'll get to the ending in a bit, but I think that ties into how it ends, like the fact that no, like that's a, <clears throat> that's a core part of his character that you you can't just like get rid of.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Sort of plays into how that ends, and I'll I'll talk about that more when we get to that.
0: Yeah. Um, so they go back to Vincent's house and we get the, the scene that I discussed earlier where Vincent talks about <coughs> color. And again, I like very much how continually throughout this episode, like it's not like at the very end they just pull out the like, yeah, you made him happy. But in the end, like it's it, like it very continually shows throughout the episode that like mood swings are a thing. And, like, sometimes people will be, can be, like, absolutely just enraptured and telling you about this amazing thing to them one second and then gone the next. And it's just, like, obviously, like, it's it's got some sappiness to it, but it still feels a whole lot more realistic than even some shows today. Like, admittedly, I haven't seen the show uh the the fucking uh the the show uh version adaptation of 13 reasons why but i remember watching it get panned and panned and panned for years for just being absolutely terrible about this and it's just like i'm thinking about the fact that like a show where that a mental health struggle isn't even the core like centerpiece of the show did this better in a one-off episode, like a decade before this whole last Netflix series.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not romanticized. It's yeah, but it, but at the same time, it's not like, it's not like treated as the opposite where it's just like, yeah. Oh, I would it's be so much roman- better if this, yeah. if this it's monstrous not... side of me was yeah. being held back. It's like the, the, yeah. It informs his character, it informs his passions, but there's no, like... Yeah. It, it knows how to balance it with, like, how real people are. Like, yeah, my... Yeah. The the, few, the minor ways in which my neurodivergency, whatever, impacts how I like music, impacts the type of fiction I like, impacts the type of art I hopefully one day want to create. But it's not, like... It's not like a Manny Pixie thing or or anything yeah. like it it feels authentic. Yeah. Um
0: It's not yeah. uh it's not romanticized, it's not over it's not like, oh, your your kindness saved this person. It's not over stigmatized. It is literally just someday it's it's honest. It's some days are absolutely wonderful and then some days are Fucking garbage, trash, awful, and make you want to like curl up and stop existing. It's honest.
1: Um, in an episode yeah. that's less than an hour long, and it yeah. doesn't really suffer. You could argue the alien plot suffers for like the forty-five minute thing syndrome, but let's be real. I don't even. The draw of this so, episode because... isn't the alien plot.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like. The thing with the alien the thing with the alien plot is like On the one hand, obviously, yes, it's not the centerpiece of the episode, and it's not in focus as much. But on the other hand, it's still actually thematically relevant, which is a lot more than you can say for a decent chunk of episodes where the alien plot feels like a side note. Yeah. Like, it's pretty obvious that like the invisible monster that only you are supposed that only you can see is supposed to be about mental health struggles. It's painfully obvious.
2: A mental yeah, it's it's something you can only see but that hurts but that hurts the people around you. Uh yeah, no, it's it's yeah
1: it's incredibly thematically relevant and even the doctor's Um, line about sorry you go first
2: (laughs) yeah and i think that's something that we don't get a lot on doctor who weirdly yeah like definitely not to this extent where the the like monster of the week actually ties into like the you know in its construction ties into the theme of the episode um into the messages it's talking about um and I think it's really good that they did that this time.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah. like, you could maybe say that, like, for example, let's say the family of blood and human nature, like the Doctor, are assuming human forms to play out their, their game against each other. And that kind of ties into the themes of the Doctor of, like, if you hadn't come here, would all of these people have died? But, it, like, the fact, like, I didn't think about that until just now... And I've seen that episode a lot, so like it maybe this might just be a failure on my my analysis brain, but it doesn't feel as like obviously thematically tied as this.
1: Yeah, I can oh, maybe just an...
0: go ahead. Yep. Yeah, go ahead.
2: <laughs> yeah. So sorry to interrupt again, but just another thing occurred to me, like the the line about the the alien that they're supposed to be in packs but that this one is alone and that's why it's lashing out and i that yeah that just occurred to me after my first point i was like yeah because vincent's alone and like yeah. being alone exacerbates mental health issues as, as we've learned in the last year
0: yeah oh yeah as we all have
1: oh oh yes um yeah i was just gonna say i can going back like, the only thing I can think of that approaches this level of obviousness is I think they're called the Isolus in Yeah. Chloe Weber about like Oh yeah, and fear her. But the yeah, problem is, is
0: that while I while I am while I am on record as being a fear her defender, while I am on record for that, um, I don't think that episode is anywhere near as well written as this one.
1: oh, oh definitely not. And going to the point where like at the point where it's spelled out for us, really, the thematic message when when the Crophaeus is dying and the yeah. doctor says, you know, sometimes winning winning isn't fun at all and it's like that yeah. line could be like that could be delivered so poorly and like so obvious, yeah. but it's just like it's really true that like I don't know, at least for me, just some days making it through the day, even though I've been having a horrible horrible time like internally like, I know that's good, but sometimes I'm just like, what what the fuck am I even doing here? Like really. Yeah. Um, so and that might be just me reading like too much into it, but given everything else, I think that's I think I can safely say yeah. that's purposeful and like part of the whole thing. And I
0: think to some extent applicability is the point. Like, yes, it's it's written in a way that's supposed to be like little Timmy who's ten years old first like the telly is going to tell little Timmy about depression, but it also feels it's written to be applicable. So you can relate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so... Oh yeah, we have the first... The first appearance of the invisible monster there, where it fights, uh, where it like, and it's revealed that only Vincent can see it. And there's that funny sight gag of like Vincent driving it off, and then it like the camera pans over to Eleven being like, ah, in the corner.
1: I will say, Um, I think this, I think this episode balances kind of like the more childish or childlike 11 that we get like way too much of in later series while also being like it's clear he's a very old alien and i know you could say that about a bunch of uh episodes this season but i really i really felt that balance this time because 11 does some goofy shit but at no point was i did i feel like it was too much
0: yeah definitely and it it also again quite like quite like real life it it balances its seriousness and it's and its comedy very well it's like just like just like i'll feel like shit and then a friend will send me a really stupid meme and i'll laugh so hard about it that i will forget about like how stupid i was feeling or like send me like something that like or like it'll piss me off so much that it kind of snaps me out of a funk because i'll be like god fucking damn it it's like yeah
2: or, like, how the best um, rom coms are. Sometimes you see an Amugus meme, and it's both.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and that dates this episode. <laughs> <laughs> this episode was recorded in March of 2021. Um,
2: Admittedly, it doesn't date it as much as it should, because that really should not be lasting
0: this long. <laughs> Well, no, 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 because Amogus is a recent, a mutation. That's yes. New. Like a few, no,
2: no, but like a few weeks, it should have died in like three days. And that would have really dated the episode. <laughs> but I can't stop fucking saying it. <laughs> you know, if you, if you think about it, the, the monster in this episode is really Amogus because it's like, they can't, it's the, it's the imposter.
1: <laughs> As someone getting a degree in literary analysis <laughs> I have some questions Stellar <laughs> Give We'll, we'll work on your primary sources
0: Amoogus
1: <laughs> Alright This is a Doctor Who show
0: Imagine if I just made that the fucking episode title. And everyone's going to be like, Jeff, why the fuck is Amogus the episode title? And I'm like, you'll fucking well, find Well, now you out. have to make it the episode title. Yeah, I will. I fucking will.
1: V- Vincent Amogus.
0: No. Uh, all right. Um, yeah, Eleven's actually, Eleven's written really well here, too. Like, it's it's just the right level of, like child like 11 where he's he's looking around for the the like chest mounted gizmo with the mirror that lets him see the monster and he's like i can't apologize enough i thought you were just a useless gadget i thought you were an embarrassing present from a dull god- godmother with two heads and bad breath twice and he's he's so giddy about it and it's like yes that's that's all the good parts of this character And none of the bad.
1: Yeah, honestly, if Um, if someone were to ask me, like, what is quintessential 11, I would probably point to the 11th hour and Vincent and the Doctor. I think those would be, like, my two go-aheads, go-tos for that.
0: Definitely. And, like the the little goofs of like him showing like him like being like like who is this and it starts like showing pictures of William Hartnell and then Patrick Troughton. and then he holds the picture up and it can't get a read on it and he's like that's the problem with impressionists and it's like it's stupid enough that you should be like god damn it but it works
1: that was a good gag yeah
0: yeah um. And then, and then the gag of him, like, seeing it in the reflection and being like, ah, there you go. Now you figured it out. And it taking, like, a solid 30 seconds to be, for him to be like, oh, shit. And then Amy scaring the crap out of him. It's like, it's almost like this is the most human. And I, I think that's actually, like, something that Richard Curtis said about this episode is, like, it really is written to show off Eleven's heart. Whereas a lot of the time, these episodes are written to show off like 11's head, his brain, his, uh, yeah. And I, I, like I think
2: that. Th- there is something especially very cute about him carrying around the little guy, like the little machine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's got him like wrapped around his chest, like a baby. And it's like, yeah, it's so goofy looking and he's like fiddling with it. And he just looks like an absolute
0: goofball. Yeah. Matt Smith, once again, <laughs> being a master of... Like, he's one of the most, <coughs> like, physical doctors. Probably because Matt is also clumsy and coordinated as fuck, like, normally in real life. Like, I remember them saying something of, like, Matt kept breaking sonic screwdriver props literally constantly. Like, they'd have to get him, like, new ones every hour or so.
1: Rip. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think that also works um, thematically of like Eleven's heart because this is really this is kind of Amy at her lowest point even though she doesn't like know or remember why and you know Q uh time of the doctor quote she's the first person he saw. So it's like there's a connection yeah. there. It makes sense where we we see him more open than I think we're used to seeing in later times and that's even without getting into the flanderization of the character i just we rarely get an authentic look at 11
0: Mm -hmm. um and then we get to the the point kind of where obviously we have like a bit of the manic pixie dream girl stuff wherever where they're like yeah come and have breakfast for us like we have sunflowers and orange juice and and all that um but then it, it almost kind of when 11 mentions like yeah let's like this is what it is let's go do this and then we will be on our way and out of our hair and it almost like i i'm i'm starting to think about how it almost kind of on like pointedly like deconstructs what the celebrity historicals had been doing where like it's not like it's literally like the theme park it's like step right up right up see the famous person we'll do a fun runabout adventure with the famous person and then we'll walk away and it doesn't really further the series arc in any way or really (coughs) enrich any of our characters that much it's just a fun romp whereas here it's like this is a person who has been appreciating your friendship and you're just going to dip after this because admittedly you have to because you're time travelers and this is the format of the show but it's where like them explicitly treating it like a normal celebrity historical leads them into emotional conflict.
1: Definitely. I I think there is a purposeful juxtaposition of like the sunflowers and the brightness and then like and i and i know from experience that just one line said like a little bit off can like get in your mind and like totally cause yeah. you to spiral um it fucking yeah. sucks <laughs> um yeah and you can see it in the actor's face like credit to the van van gogh actor obviously um he pulls a ton of nuances in this performance um Where it could have, like, otherwise been very, like, one note or, like, cliche. Like, he gets those points. You see the flash of, like, oh, you're leaving. And then when he's having that, like, moment in the, I I guess I'll call it, like, a depressive episode. But he's just, like, you'll leave like everybody does. Like, it ties into that. It isn't just, like, a, oh, depression, am I right? Like, it, it follows a logical format.
0: yeah definitely and then of course we we move on and admittedly yeah it's a little fast but it's a 45 minute episode so fucking whatever shut the fuck up it's good um uh and and how we get the scene where he's like i'm i'm not sad sometimes these moods torture me for weeks for months but i'm good now it's just like it's so mm, it's so good It's so, like, simple, and a lot of, like, it's weird because I saw, like, the source that I read that generally, honestly, seems to be kind of crabby about most episodes, or nowhere near as generous to them as as we are, where it's kind of like they found it kind of overly sappy, and it's just like, are you just neurotypical or something? Do you just not have depression? Because, like, come on, man! Yeah. Are you one of those rare people where your brain fucking works normally? Because <laughs> I'm not. <laughs>
1: uh, I'll drink to that. Anyway, yeah. The and again, just him saying, "Oh, if Amy Pond can soldier on, so can I." And it feels again, it's like it's taking the trope of the historical figure being inspired by something the Doctor or the Companion does, but it's not, like, one of the surface-level, you inspired me to do this one famous thing. It's, you inspire me to, like, soldier on. on.
0: Even if it's only for a few more months.
1: Yeah. I was like, that's good shit. It's not shallow.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Um... Uh, there is, <laughs> it's also a great, you know, it also, it, it al- this, this next scene here at the church allows Eleven to flex his own, uh, uh, his own uh, non-neurotypicalness where he has, oh boy, he has one of the most like Dr. ADHD moments I've ever seen.
1: It reminded Actually, me in that what? moment of the power of three, except Yeah, good. that's
0: that's what I was thinking. <laughs> that's that's what I was thinking too. Eleven just straight up has ADHD. It's canon. He just straight up has it. And like admittedly, so do most doctors, but like eleven especially. It's great. Um So, yeah, uh, Eleven uh, goes into the church by himself. There's the great line here where he's like, Amy, don't follow me. And he walks away. And after a short bit, Vincent is like, are you going to follow him? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> um, and, you you know, you have the, the runaround in the church. And it's like, yeah, it's a runaround in a church. But it's good. It's, it's not much of anything but it still works fine because because of the way where it ends where like i i even like even though i only saw this like a couple i last saw this a couple months ago but for some reason i forgot that it is literally like the beast accidentally impales itself Vincent doesn't even, like, really attack it. It just, he just holds the easel out. And because the beast is blind, it just runs right into it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's, I, it's, I admit, one yeah. part of the episode that I kind of, like, I, I fake remember because <laughs> it's not actually a part. It's like, oh, this, this is like a lone creature that got sent here by a crack. But, like, nope. It just no. naturally no, just flows here. thematically into into the work um but they're still able to you know keep up the whole plot and the arc obviously rory isn't there and the small bit where they're in the church and it's vincent and amy beside him and he's just like okay amy rory (laughs) and it's not even like really brought that much attention to it's a quick thing but it's like it's there and it like it stings you a bit because it's just like oh he he did that off of like impulse uh
0: and it's also, it's also a nice little thing of, like, it shows that, like, unlike something like Mickey, where there was that tension, like, 11, 100%, uh, like, accepted, uh, like, has 100% accepted Rory as a companion. Because he's just, he's expecting him like Rory's there. Yeah. Whereas, like, I'm pretty sure I even remember, I even remember, like, in uh, fucking Girl in the Fireplace or whatever, where, like, Ten's like, oh, yeah, Mickey's here. What what do we have Mickey do? And it's nice that that isn't here. Yeah. I'm starting to come, ar- like, I-, I already was, like, firmly Rory gang, but I am starting to come around on this TARDIS team a little bit more. Um. Uh so yeah, and then another thing that is nice is how uh fucking like it's like the the way that the alien plot is written, it wraps up and still leaves like 10 minutes for everything else to happen and, and just there to be like character stuff. And that's, uh, and it's, it's, it's nice. Cause a lot of time people like complain about like, Oh, like RTD's finale had this problem where the, like the plot actually ends at 45 minutes and then the remaining like, f- like 10 minutes or whatever is just messing about. But it feels like here that remaining 10 minutes is vital to the themes of the episode.
1: Yeah, there's so much you could say like, oh, you don't technically need this. You don't technically need the Van Gogh breaking down scene. Because he just like, he's fine, quote unquote fine, like five minutes later. You don't need the moment where they're all laying in a field and watching the starry sky. But like, you fucking do. (laughs) I'm sorry. It's like, it's vital to the thematic and narrative tapestry that like culminates in the museum both when vincent visits it and when they're there afterwards like that's all Uh important it's all leading to that moment which i'm sure we'll talk about soon but
0: yeah absolutely um and yeah and you have the little you have the little thing where uh they they decide to take vincent to the musée d'Orsay, and and show it to him and we really get into like the big thing that this episode does which is and i it's actually like i forgot that they played licensed music here and it's interesting because like the like the only other major time i can think of that they use, like, actually, like, licensed music in a big emotional scene was when they played that fucking one song over the credits of Rosa, and I audibly groaned because it just felt so, like, token generic, like, corporate. It's just like, ugh! But here it actually, like, I don't know the song, but it actually, it works. And it's, it's diegetic, too, because I think it's the song that's playing on the radio of those two dudes that walk by the camera when they first land. So that's cool.
1: I'd have to go back and listen, but I, I think you're right. And I think the reason it works for me is, like, first, you have you have Van Gaal, the, the actor who's playing him, does an amazing job at the reaction. The surrounding gallery is almost a perfect, like, setting for this scene because you can literally pan all around it. Um, yeah. You have Bill Nye who, you know, adds... He he adds talent to, like, everything he's in. You buy that he actually thinks this, even though he's basically being asked on the spot. Um, And the music... I don't know, at least to me, it's almost like... Sensory overload isn't quite the right term, but as it's just, like... As it builds and builds and builds, you can... It yeah. feels and overwhelming, as, as, as well as you seeing yeah. him be overwhelmed.
0: And as someone who's very emotionally receptive to music, it, yeah, it works It works very well.
1: Yeah, and it doesn't feel manipulative because you've spent yeah. all this time seeing him legitimately think that his work means nothing. And I think, yeah. I, I don't know, and, at least that touches yeah. me personally because when I think of like what I want to do, in the world there's always you know even if I feel like what I'm doing is important there's always something in the back that's like well will this really last probably not what's the point yeah. and to see I don't know just putting myself in those shoes if I like went to the future and it's like no like people people know who I am people like know my life and like my work is on the wall of like this fancy thing yeah. Like that would get me fucking emotional like are you kidding me <laughs> Um. Yeah, I just I think it works because they put in the time to build it and they got the right talent to put it all together. Um, You could argue the music is a tad bit manipulative, but I honestly think it, it's I not think cynical it a whole, and it as works I with said, the construction. Yeah, as yeah. I
0: said, it works a whole lot better than the other time that they use it. And I think part of the, the song choice helps there because it's like the other thing with the Rose example is it's just like that song had already been used in so many like ad campaigns and stuff so it just felt even more like cynical and like manipulative and like yeah we're just gonna pick this specific song whereas i've never heard that song before and i think it was genuinely just hey i think this song really fits and not oh this song's popular people will recognize this song
1: Yeah. And again, like when I, when I think about the episode and I misremember this, I admit I do. I think of that scene as just having regular score behind it Yeah, because it fits so well. And it feels like someone wrote it specifically to be building up to that moment. And the fact that it isn't is frankly kind of impressive Um, that, that they were able to make it work as well as it does. And I think what also sells it on it for me, this is kind of going a little bit ahead, but it's like, you could argue that the doctor only shows him this because he knows like because of time lordy senses that it isn't going to change anything, yeah. but I also genuinely believe he wanted to show him this because he was his friend and he wanted to like yeah. give him a parting gift before they just yeah. went on their way. <laughs> you know, and Call that was that adds the hell, to the right, emotion yeah. of it.
0: Yeah. Definitely.
2: And, and sort of circling back to what I touched on earlier, um, I think the reason he it's power or it's like, he still ends up not living, um, mm-hmm. you know, killing himself is, is like what I said earlier, you know, that mental illness is never going to stop being a part of him. And like mm-hmm. one experience isn't going to change that. Mm-hmm. And even if that like moment of triumph makes him really happy, It doesn't change the underlying issues in his mind.
0: And it's also, it's, it's very, it's, it's, I'm trying to find an adjective for it. It's very, like, kind and about it too, where it's like, even if he still died in the end, you made him happy and that's all that matters.
2: Yeah, absolutely.
1: It's a very, I I would kind of think of it as like narratively and thematically adjacent to the whole, to the whole theme about the, um, it's a wonderful life movie about even if you aren't doing anything grand, what matters is those individual connections. Um, and like what mattered, even if it didn't change the whole grand scheme of his life is that he had people be kind to him. And again, like I think it's a brilliant way that 11 puts it adding to his pile of good things. And that doesn't the bad doesn't invalidate the good. Um, and I know I'm basically just repeating the dialogue, but it's like, it really is that simple in a way, even if it feels fucked (laughs) in the moment. Um, it's really human and it's really like, yeah, just a naked truth that you have to sit with, but it, it makes it feel happy and, like, melancholic at the same time, I guess. I don't know. It's a weird thing, but it works yeah. so well.
0: And it, and it feels like, admittedly, I'm not that well-versed in a lot of media, especially, like, like film and, and TV. Like, I, I know a lot more about, like, video games and, and uh, music. But at least in the, the film and TV world, this feels like having it be portrayed this way, even even in, I think, in art in general, it feels so rare to me. Like, I can't think of that much other media that does it like this, and that's, that's crazy that a fucking Doctor Who episode did this. And yeah, it's like, I... it's like it's, like, it's kind of, like, one of the reasons why I have these standards for Doctor Who. Because it's, like, sometimes you come across this shit where it's, like, holy shit, nobody's doing this but this weird-ass, long-running British, like, sci-fi show.
1: Yeah. Admittedly, I don't look into, like, a whole lot of media that touches on mental health, mostly because I know they'll do it badly, and that triggers the fuck out of me. Like, unironically. Um... But, yeah, like, even this, even an episode like this made me uncomfortable at some points, but it felt authentic, and it felt respectful. And that's more than I can say for, like, most stuff I've seen that deals with mental health in any type of capacity. Like, yeah, you have you have some Marvel movies that, like, oh, yeah, Tony Stark has PTSD, but, like, that's basically just, yeah. like, a narrative point rather than, like, a character or yeah. thematic point. It's, it's very... Not. Like, again, Drinking Game, WandaVision, like, even something like that, which I think does it respectfully, like, the depth and the honesty and, like, the sitting with it, it isn't as there, even though I think WandaVision does it respectfully, but that's a whole other point, but I, I completely agree with you, Jeff. I think shows like, episodes like this show how special Doctor Who can be, and... I don't know why why it's personally sad to me the direction the show has generally taken in recent years and i i like um the series 12 episode that deals with mental health um quite a bit more than you do but even that doesn't hold a candle to this
0: yeah and i guess with that unless we have anything else anything else to say Uh, We can move on to ratings Um, Yeah, just It's it's the one per season There's always one where we spend an hour to an hour and a half just gushing about it and going in-depth and being like Oh, this is so thematically great or whatever like you have It's Dalek then it's impossible planet Satan pit then it's human nature then it's midnight and then Waters of Mars, and now we have this. It happens every season. It's the standout slam dunk of the season. Raw, Keno, Goat, Swag, Poggers, 10 out of 10, A+, plus, Triple S, Smoking Sexy style uh, episode of the season.
1: I'm not going to repeat all that. <laughs> uh, um...
0: I wasn't asking you to.
1: <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, this episode is virtually perfect, you could nitpick some stuff about the monster plot, maybe um but really, the episode accomplishes all it needs to, and more and maybe that's my personal bias of like dealing with mental health stuff but it's just so personally resonant, and it it was even more personally resonant back when I wasn't really aware of like my mental health issues as much, it still hit me and it hit me even more this time um easy easy ass.
0: yeah
2: yeah so i you know i'm sort of arguing with myself like do i want to like make it a really balanced thing or do i want to just go with my gut um because like i definitely could i definitely could like be a nitpicker and be like oh you know i I could definitely like because if i had one criticism it would be that it didn't like hold my attention through the like amazingly through the whole episode even then i would probably still rate it a 9.5 but i think just the emotional core of the episode is so strong that i just feel compelled to give it a 10 anyways yeah um just because yeah it's just it's one of the few things that makes you tear up so
0: yeah thumbs up well done, well done, Richard Curtis. You got us. <sighs> Next week we have to talk about the lodger. Fuck. Until then, <laughs> uh you can follow the podcast on Twitter at b2tardispod. You can also support us on Patreon. For a number of benefits, like early access to episodes, the ability to listen in live to episodes being recorded, and potentially even the ability to guest star on an episode of your choosing. Also bonus episodes. I'm hoping to play- hopefully get back into those once shit, like, calms the fuck down in terms of my, my schedule, especially around, like, the weekends when we usually record these. Um, but I'm definitely hoping to get back into those. Um, yeah. Uh, I'm Jeff. You can follow me on Twitter at DL
1: i'm bill nye's eclectic collection of bow ties and you can find me on twitter at sky 95 nine underscore five
2: <laughs> i am amber and yeah you can find me and the other homies at nestquixotic on twitter.com
0: and we will see you all next week